Good morning, everybody. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Eastside, and it's good to be with you today. We're going to continue on in our series in Mark chapter 1, and we've got a lot to say. We're actually going to encounter um, some demons in this text, which um, we need to offer a lot of time to, I think, pastorally. So, so we're going to go ahead and go right into it. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to read through verse 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we begin. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear this text today. And every time we come um, to really complicated and um, strange things in the Bible, like this text, we ask you, Jesus, to reveal your heart to us in this moment um, where you encounter evil. What does it look like to be a healing presence in the world that is dark? Would you guide us? Would you make us more like yourself, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark, from the very beginning, Mark sets out to paint Jesus's uh, portrait as the new king of the world. He's inaugurating this new kingdom. And anyone like Caesar or anyone who is king or um, in power anywhere, Jesus challenges their authority. And he says, Jesus is actually the son of God. Jesus is actually the one who brings good news to the world. And Jesus here is inaugurating this new kingdom in Mark chapter one. As Matthew talked about last week and in the previous weeks, Mark moves really quickly. He's taking us through important event to important event because it's almost as though he's saying it's really important. Every single thing Jesus does is moving us towards something new and it's urgent. Um, So we see here another thing that's happening in the life of Jesus that's moving really quickly. So Jesus, right before this, calls his first four disciples. So, so far we don't have the 12, we just have these four. And Jesus kind of inaugurates his ministry in this first moment after calling these first disciples. We see actually in all four gospels, we see a moment just like this, that each gospel writer uses as a sort of characterization of the ministry of Jesus. It kind of reveals and calls out what it is that Jesus came here to do. So for example, in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's the sermon in the synagogue where he says, I've come to bring good news to the poor. In John, it's turning water into wine. And for Mark, It's clearing the earth of demons, which is a strange thing to say and um, an even stranger thing to really sit and think about. And that's what we're going to do today. We see in this moment, this demon says to Jesus in the synagogue, have you come to destroy us? And what Mark is saying that Jesus came to do is exactly that, that he rebukes this demon. And so it is precisely what Jesus came here to do, to rid the earth of demons, to clear the earth of all that is opposing his kingdom. So, We're going to talk about demons today and do some kind of theology of evil and what it looks like, what it means, and what it has to do with us. And I just want to say from the outset that 
this is probably something that you did not maybe expect to talk about at church this morning. Maybe you're not like super feeling up to it. Um, or maybe this even triggers some things in you from, from things you've experienced in the past um, or kind of um, been in charismatic spaces where this is talked about a lot and you've done a lot of work to kind of move back from that space. And, and I just want to honor anywhere that you are this morning in terms of talking about this. We're going to talk about it really um, gently and even maybe lightheartedly at some points um, in wisdom and of a sound mind. So I, I hope that you stick with us through this and, and can come, come and approach this topic with us. Um, so when it comes to demons, demonic things, Satan, a lot of times we, there's this, a giant spectrum of where you can be. And a lot of times we're either on one end or the other. We have like com- complete denial of a personal evil. We think there's bad things in the world and bad actions, and maybe when things are really bad, it's like an accumulation of those bad things, um, but, but not a kind of personal evil. And then you have the opposite end of the, the spectrum, which is kind of an obsession with the demonic or with, with personal evil. I um, have been in kind of both circles in my life, and at one point in a very charismatic kind of circle where someone was struggling with eating too much chocolate, and it was determined by this group of house church members that the demon of chocolate must be exercised from this person. <laughs> and it, that was a moment for me where I was like, this is a time where I exit from this scenario. Um, so we, we have like a crazy gambit of experiences that we bring into a conversation like this. So I just want to acknowledge that and say, your experience is welcome here. And I'm so glad that you're here to have this conversation with us. N.T. Wright wisely says that there is more of a, instead of this kind of either or, there is a kind of continuum of evil. Um, There's this idea um, that either the supernatural or the natural has to exist. Something is either completely natural or completely supernatural. And N.T. Wright says this is kind of an 18th century fallacy. If you want to hear more about this, how we've kind of developed our version of, of what truth actually is, Matthew taught a really great sermon on this a couple of weeks ago, and you should go listen to that. We have this tendency to believe that things are completely separate. They are either spirit or they are flesh. They are human or they are heaven. Um, But N.T. Wright says, rather, there is a continuum. And I found this to be a really helpful way for myself to think about um, evil and demons in the world, that there is not a, a separateness to it, but there's actually a sort of integration. But we say continuum because it's there's sometimes more going on in one place than, than we know in terms of like demonic presence or action in something. And we as Christians are called to develop eyes to see and ears to hear to determine kind of what's going on in a specific instance. So we're going to talk about that kind of for the rest of this time. So first we want to address just this idea of demons and personal evil. For so many of us, this is an incredibly hard concept to come to because um, we kind of interpret Christianity as a way of learning to live our best life. It's not about evil um, or demons. It's about learning to have really good morals and ethics. For a lot of us, it's just a way for us to bring our children up in a world where we want them to not be monsters, to kind of learn a way of life so that they are good people and have good morals and ethics. Um, This live your best lifestyle Christianity is, I'm sorry to say, an Oprah style Christianity. It's not the Christianity of Mark's gospel, not the Christianity of Jesus. Mark here from the outset paints a picture for us of Jesus saying what Jesus came to do is address evil. The kingdom of God is not about learning to be your best self. It's about joining in the work of salvation that Jesus has begun in the world. Christianity is more 
about more than just good behavior and ethics. It's about a world that God made very good, the Bible says. But there are rebellious forces within it that seek to destroy God's good world. Jesus came to the earth to restore its goodness. That's what we're seeing in this text. Jesus restoring goodness and order to the earth and in this singular human being as well. To claim authority over this world and to seek to save it. The consequences of salvation are not to instill good manners in us, but to bring us into the battle for the good of the world. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So what are demons? Who is Satan? And what are these rebellious forces? The Bible says, and is very clear about this, that we have an enemy. And in Hebrew, this enemy is called Hasatan or the Satan. A better translation for us to understand is the accuser. The Bible also calls him the father of lies. So we can already kind of have this picture of this entity that would um, accuse us, point the finger at us, and possibly even lie about and to us about who it is that we are in order to um, change our direction away from the kingdom of God and into the kingdom of the world. This is an uncomfortable and even ignorant idea for a lot of us. We tend to think about the devil as like a little creature with horns and a pitchfork and a little like red skin, like a very strange cartoony kind of thing. So it feels really ridiculous to talk about even the idea of Satan as being a possible reality in the world. Um, and rather, some of us tend to think about evil as an absence of good rather than an entity like Satan or demons. Alexander Schmiemann, who's an Orthodox priest and teacher and writer, says some really helpful things about evil, and he says it really well, so I want to read the whole quote to you. Some theologians and philosophers, in an attempt to explain and thus to rationalize the experience and existence of evil, explained it as an absence, the absence of good. They compared it, for example, to darkness, which is nothing but the absence of light, and which is dispelled when light appears. This theory was subsequently adopted by many and constitutes an integral part of our modern worldview. Such is not the understanding of evil in the Bible and the, in the experience of the church. Evil is most emphatically not a mere absence. It is precisely a presence, the presence of something dark, irrational, and very real. Although the origin of that presence may not be clear and immediately understandable, Thus, hatred is not a simple absence of love. It is the presence of a dark power, which can indeed be extremely active, clever, and even creative. So here's what we take away from this, this kind of first point here. Um, you and I have an adversary. There is a force of evil in the world that is at work to bring us out of order and into chaos in opposition to our innate goodness. This adversary wants to stop us, wants to distract us, wants to knock us off our mark, and most of all wants us to believe that believing in him is foolishness. And the second important point to take away from this is that Jesus came to save us from this. This isn't the, our whole story. This isn't the bottom line. The bottom line is that Jesus came to save the world, to bring it back into order instead of chaos. Not to make us nice and instill manners in us but to deal with forces of evil. There is an yet another thing going on in this text, and this is what I love about this gospel, is that for Mark, there's always a kind of dual reality happening, and we have to be able to have eyes to see and ears to hear that within these stories. 
So the continuum of evil is essential to understanding something else that's going on in this text, that there's a symbolic relationship between the demon and the scribes. So we're going to go back to one of the quotes from this text. It says, they were astounded at Jesus's teaching as he taught with one, as one with authority, not as the scribes. And then he immediately launches into this encounter with the demon. Scribes were educated people. They were experts in the law of God. They were precisely the ones with authority. Um, And oftentimes they use this authority to hold things over people's heads, to demand things of people from God um, to their own advancement. So this moment when Mark says he taught as one with authority and not as the scribes was a kind of, if you're in a youth group, a kind of like booyah moment where they say the ones who have authority are actually not the ones with authority at all. It's rather this guy he's come to teach with authority. So what Mark is doing in this moment is he's showing us that there are not only demonic powers that Jesus came to oppose and confront, but there are political and systemic oppressive powers that that Jesus came to oppose and confront. These two moments are actually symbolic of one another. They're both very real and they are both very much symbols of what's going on in the world. We miss the entire point if we insist that one is the real thing that's going on and the other is not the real thing that's going on. Jesus came to battle against both oppressive human and spiritual powers. Jesus's healing ministry came for both systems and people. That's what Mark wants us to see here that's going on. We have the scribes and we have the demon and Jesus came to oppose both. The bottom line is the spiritual world and the physical world are far more intertwined than we can imagine. And we are called, it is our vocation as Christians, as people who are temples of the Holy Spirit to be the kinds of people who are able to have the wisdom and eyes to see and ears to hear the reality of this going on in the world. You and I are called to see these things, both things. So here's an example because examples are helpful with kind of abstract ideas like this. I think we all can agree that racism is evil. And if you cannot agree with that, then I I, I don't know how to help you right now. (laughs) Um, But this is an important starting point for us. Racism is evil. As Christians, we're meant to be engaging in the world in a way that addresses systems that sustain racism in our society. We're supposed to be dealing with racism in tangible, physical, visible ways, educating ourselves about the history of ourselves and the history of our nation and our world, addressing actual physical human systems that are oppressive. This is what we are called to. Jesus did this throughout his life. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to do all those things and We are supposed to acknowledge that racism, the evils of racism are far bigger than anything that we could manage. That there is something evil within it that as Jesus himself says, can only um, be rebuked and exercised by means of prayer and fasting. That there is something much deeper going on than just a surface level misunderstanding or, or, you know, the way that things are set up to oppose people. Jesus says these two things, human oppression and systemic oppression, go with one another with um, spiritual oppression as well. All of these things are present in this text. And Jesus says we as Christians are called to speak against both of those things. So how do we deal with evil? What 
is the practicality that comes out of all of this. We've said a lot of things <laughs> so far today about kind of the theology of evil and what demons are and that they exist, but what does this practically look like in an everyday sense for you and for me? Um, I have a, a personal example because I think those are, that's gonna be the most helpful in terms of dealing with something that feels so abstract as this. And you may have lived a very full life up to this point, not experiencing anything like this. Um, so it's helpful to, to kind of give a, a very visible example of, of something like this and how we deal with that. So firstly, when we come across something that feels wrong or feels oppressive and may even feel evil, like that word may, may start to like roll around in the back of your head, I believe Jesus gives us three means of responding to those kinds of things. And I don't mean like pick, take your pick, like we need to do all three. And that's responding in the spirit, responding in community, and responding in peace and nonviolence. So here's my personal example. Last fall, around October, I was kind of revving up for my ordination into the priesthood. And, uh, you know, getting ready for that it had been postponed for a long time because of COVID and such. And so it was, it was really exciting and we were heading towards that. And um, our house and our shed started getting broken into. There was, it was attempted a few times and then successful a few times. And we had multiple thousands of dollars worth of stuff stolen from us. And, and when it happens once, it's not great. You know, you live in Atlanta, these kinds of things happen. When, when it starts to happen multiple times, you begin to feel under attack. And that was the way I was beginning to feel. And then um, I got ordained. It was wonderful. Um, and I came home and the next week, my daughter was going to be baptized. She was uh, around a year at that point. And the night before, my, my uh, Georgia, my daughter, is a notoriously wonderful baby <laughs> and sleeper. And the night before, we had a night unlike any we have had and un unlike any since. It's as though something terrifying woke her from her sleep. And she screamed for hours on end, which she never does. And we, had, we were powerless against whatever was happening with her. And so we ended up just bringing her into our room and letting her uh, scream her little heart out until she fell asleep. And then we baptized her the next day. And my husband, who grew up in much more charismatic circles than I, um, as I was baptizing her the next day, he was holding her and he said he could feel something lift off of her in that moment, um, which was a real relief for me. And then um, a few weeks later, we got broken into yet again. Um, and, and so it was just this like attack of things happening on us in a way that we have not experienced thus far, um, not only in our marriage, but really throughout our lives. So taking these three ways of dealing with this, let me show you like how that w worked itself out in my own experience. So first is dealing with evil in the spirit. The first thing we do when we start to encounter something like this is we pray we bring it to God. We ask for guidance and discernment. We may even fast. Um, when you come up against something that doesn't quite feel right, our first thing we should do instead of demystifying it is actually bring it to God and say, God, I'm confused about what this thing might be, and I would like to bring it to you for you to give me eyes to see and ears to hear in this, this situation. We need to be the kind of people who are bold enough to bring it before God, to be curious about what might actually be going on. So Gabe and I in our situation talked about it um, and kind of acknowledged, that was our first step was acknowledging that something else might be going on and we began to, to pray about this situation. The second way we deal with evil is in our communities. 
it's really hard to talk about this stuff and not sound or feel crazy. So much so that I'm a priest in the Anglican church and it was hard for me to bring it up to my friends. Um, it took me a long time to actually talk to um, other members of our staff about it and, and say, I think this is what's going on because despite the fact that we all can agree, all of us on staff, that this is a real thing that happens in the world, it still felt really hard and even absurd and illogical to, to, to say it out loud and to bring it to them. Um, but this is what we're meant to do, not only because we can then um, join together as people of God against things like this, and they prayed over me in that moment, and it was so wonderful and helpful, um, but also so that they can kind of form good boundaries around us when we start to um, lean too much into fear around these things, and they can kind of bring us back into um, some some good and and wonderful borders that God can kind of surround us with so that we don't go off the rails. Um, so even Jesus himself didn't want to face these kinds of things alone. And this is, this is one of the, my favorite things about this text, that Jesus called his disciples, the first four disciples, before he went and encountered something like this. It's in the same way he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked his friends to come and pray with him. He could face it alone, but Jesus would have rather not faced it alone. In the same way that Jesus didn't want to face suffering and evil alone, you are not meant to. You can't flourish facing it alone. So bring these kinds of things to your community and ask for discernment within the community and prayer. And lastly, um, we're meant to deal with evil and peace and nonviolence. And I'm utterly convinced of this just from being a person who reads the Gospels and knows the life of Jesus. We engage as peacefully as possible when, when we're up against evil because that's what Jesus did. I found a real desire in me at that time to feel very violently against the people who were breaking into our home. And I don't think that's a, a strange thing. I think that's very natural for a lot of us. And as Christians, we have to push against that kind of thing. Um, I had to talk about that a lot and work it out with my husband, Gabe, and um, eventually have been able get to get to the point where I pray for those people. Um, but it took a long time. <laughs> N.T. Wright um, has a really wonderful quote on this idea that we might feel or act violently, a lot of us, naturally, in our, um, in our attempt to have kind of victory in Jesus. This is what he says. In the book of Revelation, the victory and the sovereignty belong to the slaughtered lamb. The slaughtering was not simply a one-time unhappy moment that can now be replaced by the lamb's followers taking up arms to bring in his kingdom by the method of Herod and Pilate. Those who would implement Jesus' kingdom are just as prone to forget this as Peter and others were, trying to dissuade Jesus from his insistence on the suffering and dying vocation with which he interpreted his whole life, eager to push him toward the vision of a kingdom much more like the kingdoms of this world. We too have to push back against this tendency in ourselves to feel violent towards evil but rather to bring it into the light of Jesus and experience this moment in the text and in our lives when we face evil as an opportunity for the healing of Jesus. So I'll just close with these last few things. Um, said a lot of things here today. Um, this is the only way that you and I are gonna develop eyes to see and ears to hear in this world is by risking on it by asking God these things, um, by talking to our community. This doesn't mean like going on social media and saying I might be experiencing evil. This means like really bringing it into the secret places in your life and asking what's going on, being curious about what might be going on in your life. This is not 
superstition. So I don't want you to hear me saying like, now we're going to go around asking if everything is evil. This is not a superstitious way to live. This is a development of spiritual intuition. This is what the Bible calls discernment. It's actually a gift of the spirit that you and I are meant to have. So I encourage you to step into this gift, to ask for it, to take risks, to ask questions. I encourage you to listen to your community in the midst of it. And I also ask you to not exploit this gift or mindset in order to sound spiritual or feel powerful. That's actually the opposite of the point. Eugene Peterson says, take demons seriously, but not too seriously, (laughs) which I think is a really helpful way to kind of end this sermon and say, um, you know, take this to heart, but also don't walk away afraid. In 2 Timothy, Paul says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that is what I will pray for you in closing, that you walk with that spirit, the same spirit that Jesus had, that he healed people with, that he cast out demons with, the same spirit that resurrected him from the dead is the spirit that you and I have been given with which to enact um, these acts in our own lives. The name of Jesus that we call on, the spirit comes to us and it's the same one that was in Jesus. So God, I ask you to um, firm in our hearts these ideas, Lord. Would you bring us um, deeper into your mind, Jesus, to understand these things. And then to begin to ask, to risk, to ask for eyes to see and ears to hear the world that you love, to be unafraid, Um, but also not ignorant of these things, Lord, to see evil and call it what it is. And then ask for the love of Jesus to speak healing over those places. We thank you, God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I pray that over myself and over everyone listening to this sermon today. We thank you for the the gift of being Christians and living in the world with this kind of worldview of love and healing and authority over all that would oppose the kingdom of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen, we hope to see you in a, a few minutes at communion this morning. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.